0: I make the joke that I've already lived two lives, one as a corporate lawyer and then one as this very free world traveler who basically planned to just eat everything I could other than wheat, of course, being a celiac, and now it's sort of an open season as to what comes next. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer
1: with J. Craig Williams, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a blog named May It Please the Court and have two books out titled How to Get Sued and The Sled. Before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Lex Reception. Lex Reception is a close-knit team of virtual receptionists dedicated to professionalism, warmth, and 24-7 availability for law firms and attorneys. Well, musician Paul Simon studied law before abandoning it for music. Nina and Tim Zagat, both famously known for the Zagat Survey, met when they were both attending Yale Law School, but found their passion in restaurant reviews. And then there was Gandhi, who passed the bar in 1891 and returned to India to practice in Bombay, but obviously pursued a different calling in life. Well, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to spotlight a former lawyer who left the law, took a different career path. We'll take a look at how she became interested in the law, what led to her departure, what she's learned in her new career, and the importance of finding and following your passion. Today, we've got our guest, Jody Ettenberg, for a decade, Jodi traveled the world as a writer, photographer, and public speaker. Her website, Legal Nomads, told the stories of places she visited, often through food. A celiac, Jody's guides and translation cards helped many others with food restrictions eat safely around the world. When a spinal tap left her disabled in 2017, she continued to share with her community, tackling tough topics like chronic pain, grief, and loss. Jody's also the author of The Food Traveler's Handbook and intends to start her own podcast in early 2021. Prior to founding Legal Nomads, Jody worked as a lawyer in New York City for 5 years and went to law school in Canada. Well, welcome to the show, Jody.
0: Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be here.
1: Well, Jody, you've led a very interesting life, uh, and I would highly recommend to our listeners to follow up and take a look at your website because it's just chock full of wonderful information about traveling the world. Kind of give us a little bit of a short history about yourself. You know, I, I remember from uh, watching your YouTube video that you you went into law school on a dare.
0: That is true. <laughs> that is true. Much to my family's dismay, I essentially abandoned plans to, uh, to study business and instead, Uh, Someone bet me I couldn't get into law school the day before applications were due. I'm from Quebec, as you said. I went to school in Canada, so that was McGill in Montreal. And they had a program where if you came out of high school, you went to a two-year program called CEGEP. From there, you could apply directly into law school and kind of been grouped in with everyone else. So I applied on a whim, you know, because of this bet. And when I got accepted... I figured while I was 18, I wasn't sure what else I wanted to really do. And this would be a wonderful opportunity to learn as much as possible and see where things went. I think people made the assumption, you know, that my whole family must have been lawyers for me to go to law school that young. But actually, it was the opposite. They are not. And they were quite surprised as well. But McGill tuition being a lot more uh, reasonable than the US levels of tuition meant that I could take sort of this almost hubristic decision (laughs) to decide to go, even though I wasn't certain I wanted to practice law.
1: Well, it's certainly evident that you've got a bit of wanderlust in you, uh, and I really want to talk about that, but I want to find out where that wanderlust came from.
0: You know, I think it comes from the stories that my family told at the dinner table and the programs that we used to watch. My mom is a lovely storyteller, and she studied world history, taught history, and at the dinner table, our discussions were often her kind of recounting different tales of emperors and conquests, and uh, regardless of what it was, it was always so well, well done and engaging, and I think it got both my brother and I very interested in the world and in what stories can do. My trip that I ended up quitting my law job for started with a desire to go on the Trans-Siberian trains. And that was because of a PBS documentary I saw that just fascinated me. And I would have these daydreams as a kid of riding the trains and thinking of, you know, visiting Siberia and Mongolia. And that was an important part of the trip I ended up starting with, not realizing at the time it would turn into a new career. But it was it was definitely partly spurred on by that wonderful documentary I saw about the building of the trains.
1: Well, let's go back to your law career. You uh, while you were in law school, I believe you found yourself in New York for a summer.
0: I did. I, I summered in New York City for two summers, actually, and ended up going to Paul Weiss as my first job out of law school. I ended up deferring actually before I started. They actually thought I had made a mistake on my on my papers because they didn't realize I was so young. Uh, and when they did realize, I sort of asked if I could keep my offer open for an extra time. And so I, I went overseas to France and studied there uh, for a year and then worked a year in, in the nonprofit world in South America before coming back to start my job in New York. So I think it was already pretty settled at that point that my wanderlust was firmly ensconced. And when I started in corporate law, it had never really left my mind, this idea of of eventually getting to Siberia.
1: But your time in corporate law was pretty grueling.
0: It was long week. Yes, long weeks, uh, 90-hour weeks at my first time. I think The year I started, they had sort of underhired for the amount of work that came in, having had the opposite problem the year prior, and I was in corporate, and uh, yes, there there were many. I believe my first year, I billed 3,000 hours in in my first 11 months, essentially.
1: Standard New York associate. (laughs) Yes. At a large firm.
0: There's no yeah. question. We knew, I knew what I was getting into, but uh, in contrast to associates in the years prior where things were a bit slower, it was definitely even a little more than I expected, but I certainly learned a lot.
1: How do you think that grueling schedule really affected your willingness to, to travel? I mean, you were there uh, traveling a year before and then all of a sudden thrown into this uh, grindstone of time consumption. Were you struggling that year?
0: I think it's not only time consumption that was really apparent to me but also just the culture shock of returning coming from a nonprofit environment in uh, parts of the world that were less developed and then coming back to start at a corporate firm was a very was a very dichotomous experience I think it it highlighted my desire to travel in that it it continued to show me the differences in different places in the world and how there was so much more to see in terms of perspectives that I didn't want to limit myself to one experience in this lifetime. And I certainly got a lot more than I bargained for in the 10 years following. But I think that it it sort of came through that experience of walking back into this firm and seeing people who who really did make their lives out of this sort of one experience of being a corporate lawyer. And for me, the wanderlust sort of preceded that and I knew would would come later as well. I definitely did struggle with the hours. I think it, it is exhausting to anyone. You know, the lack of sleep definitely takes an impact on your body, but from a s- sort of my spirit or my my viewpoint, for me, I was saving up knowing that I would eventually take that chance and, and travel for what I thought would be one year. And so in that sense, it didn't really get me down because it was always going to be a temporary experience for me.
1: Did you find yourself unique among the associates at Paul Weiss and at uh, your second law firm, were you the one of the only ones who were thinking about leaving afterward, or was it a common thing?
0: I think people generally were both worried about retaining their jobs and also thinking about what to do after them. In the Paul Weiss experience, you know, it's a much it was a much larger firm than the second firm I was at, and I think had a much broader range of people who had done a lot of travel previously or who were also interested in the idea of something life after law, the second firm I was at was smaller and also full of interesting people. Um, I think I stood out there because I had my I had framed photos of places I had been on the wall and not my law degrees. And that was one of the questions I got a lot was where are your law degrees? And I was like under my bed. But on this wall, we have a lovely photo of the Petronas Towers from Kuala Lumpur. So I think I stood out, you know, just for having a different perspective that way. But it wasn't certainly a goal to stand out in any way. I was just uh, putting the photos on the wall for me as inspiration for where I eventually wanted to get to and not to try and, you know, be contrarian.
1: So you've managed to leverage your writing skills uh, into a continued income. Do you find that your skills as a writing skills as a lawyer has helped you?
0: I think that the the skills that you get as a lawyer, not just in school, but working and having to be more agile as information comes in, being able to negotiate in, and keeping your cool in the process, or we hope keeping your cool in the process. There's a lot of skills that really were impactful later on, even just being able to digest my own contracts as they came in uh, as part of my work. But ultimately, I think the writing preceded the law degree for me. I was always writing. I think even if I never published, even if I didn't become a lawyer, I would feel like I needed to write. It was something that even as a kid I felt very strongly about, and it was was a cathartic way to both start and end the day. So I think I've tried continuously to improve as a writer. You know, legal writing gives you a really solid backbone and a skeleton for being able to build you know, a story or a piece that has logic and, and sort of flow to it, I think the narrative aspect of that is something that everyone needs to work on because that's, that's, that's the part that really lets you put your own imprint uh, on the work that you do, which is often discouraged within the legal field.
1: And although we'll talk about income streams, writing is one of your income streams and on your website, you teach a writing course.
0: I actually, unfortunately did not get a chance to launch that course. I had I had 400 people signed up for it, but this, the Spinal Tap that ended up sort of derailing my experience that I was having in life happened before I was able to launch, and so I'm not going to be able to do that, unfortunately. But um, it was based on keynotes I had given on the neuroscience of story and how how science can help us tell better stories and affect change in a way that's really meaningful and creating content uh, to to really not just go viral, but to affect change in the process.
1: And you've been traveling, you know, after your legal career, you started traveling the world. You've written a a blog and a book about your food experiences, but you've, you had it, you mentioned that you had a spinal tap uh, in 2017 and that's kind of changed things for you. What's happened?
0: Well, the spinal tap was in August of 2017. And other than a brief period for about eight months, uh, I've pretty much been bed bound. Unfortunately, I'm not mobile and uh, it's left me unable to live independently, which you can imagine is a really big change to the complete freedom of the life I had built for myself prior. So I think, you know, I, I make the joke that I, I've already lived two lives, one as a corporate lawyer and then one as this very free world traveler who basically planned to just eat everything I could, other than wheat, of course, being a celiac. And now it's sort of an open season as to what comes next. I'm extraordinarily grateful to have my community of readers. They've been very, very engaged with the story, but also just incredibly thoughtful with uh, asking questions, trying to raise awareness for a condition that they didn't know about. What happened was that the spinal tap left me with a cerebrospinal fluid leak, which is basically a leak in the fluid that cushions your brain and surrounds your spine. And while most people either recover on conservative bed rest or with something called a blood patch where they inject your blood into your epidural space, unfortunately, I was one of the people where complications ensued and I've had four uh, procedures so far and I'm still, unfortunately, bed bound. So... Writing for me is physically very difficult because there's very little way to do it without sitting or standing or putting traction on the spinal nerves. And as, uh, as you mentioned, instead, I'll be shifting into launching a podcast, hopefully in uh, early 2021, to answer the kinds of questions that my readers have been asking a lot about grief and loss and, and how you face things when life really changes in a moment. You know, how do you find joy again when something like that happens to you?
1: What has been your solution?
0: I think finding joy in the small is very important. You know, when I've written about this in the past, I've I've quoted from Viktor Frankl of *Man's Search for Meaning* and this idea that when forces beyond your control take everything from you, they still don't have the ability to take away your freedom to choose how you respond to the situation and of course in his case you know that was in the concentration camps during the second world war for something like my situation you know even if i'm no longer able to change the ability to walk at the moment i can challenge myself to change my attitude toward it and i think reframing the the mindset toward everything is a big part of how you remain resilient in life but also how you can refind wonder and joy again even when your life is sort of infinitesimally small, at least comparative to how it used to be.
1: Or significantly different, certainly. Before we move on to our next segment, Jody, we're gonna take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. We'll be right back. 80% of callers who reach voicemail hang up. Hiring an answering service means that you never miss a lead. Lex Reception can take your calls live, handle legal intake and schedule appointments in a professional manner for less than the cost of hiring an in-house employee. There are no contracts, and the service is quick and easy to set up. For 50% off your first month's service, visit lexreception.com forward slash lawyer to lawyer. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is Jody Ettenberg, a lawyer turned world traveler, blogger, and foodie. Right before the break, we were talking about a significant disability, Jody, that's changed your life. And and you mentioned that you've uh, had some success in reframing, which, uh, as I remember, as a, a young lawyer, was one of the skills that you learned to do in the law.
0: That's right. I do think a lot of what we learn, training as lawyers, is useful in whatever careers we choose. And and you know, when I have featured lawyers in my writing who have taken alternative career choices. Or when lawyers write me to ask about what they're afraid of in switching careers, I think it's really important to remind people of the skills they have. You know, there's such a lockstep, siloed view to the legal profession in many cases. Obviously, with technology, things are really changing now. But if you have the privilege, you know, to think about switching careers, then there are so many skills that you likely do have. And it's figuring out, you know, what do you want to do? What are the skills you have that make you different to other people? And then what are the pain points, you know, that other people have that you can try and solve? And like the overlap between those things, I think, is where everyone's personal sweet spot is to figuring out what to do next.
1: Your five questions on your website, you have five questions that you ask in your Thrillable Hours series.
0: I do. I do. I thought the words, I thought Thrillable Hours was hilarious and other lawyers of course, understood the joke with billable hours. Non-lawyers think it's ridiculous. And they're like, this isn't funny. I was like, it's very funny. Uh, yes, I asked every lawyer the same five questions about their career choices. And also the last one, they throw away about how people were saying lawyers can't have fun. And uh, the question was, what do, you, what do you say to people who say lawyers can't have fun?
1: Well, and when you were having fun, I guess, and is a, in a different way, traveling the world, You've been to many destinations. I think Siberia is one, among them, and you've traveled to Thailand and to Vietnam,
0: mm-hmm.
1: many different places. As a lawyer, what would you recommend to other lawyers to, to travel to to start their their legal nomads?
0: Well, I, I think it really depends on what they're traveling for or to what end. You know, for me, the the one-year sabbatical accidentally turned into a new career And a really fulfilling, wonderful one. You know, I never thought I would get into public speaking and photography. I had to teach myself how to blog, and it was a really enjoyable experience of learning, not just traveling. I think if you're looking to travel as your career, you do still need to figure out what those skills are, like I said, and and what pain point you want to fix. The travel blogging world, when I got into it, was extremely small. You know, we were a dozen people who all knew each other and now it's extremely saturated and, and added on to by influencers, social media and and Instagram. And there's a lot more noise in, in every space right now online. So if someone's looking to change careers and get into travel, I think there's a real examination that needs to happen. Or maybe they can travel and enjoy their lives while working location independent wise in a different career. There are many options out there that certainly weren't there, you know, 20 years ago.
1: And you have a host, your website has a host of resources and books available for people to consider and look at. I saw one of the ones is one of my favorites is What Color Is Your Parachute?
0: Yes, that's a, a book that I've recommended to many people. I agree. It's it's very useful. I think really what, what people come to me with the most in, from the legal profession is the fear and the fear of making a big change of what people will think, what benefits they'll have if they if they do switch. And I do wonder, you know, with with what's going on in the world these days with the pandemic, it forces you to really rethink and reframe parts of what are beneficial or not to you. The, the same way that, you know, having this experience of this spinal tap that left me with this disability that I, you know, never I never had before. I can tell you I'm extremely grateful that I... I quit my job when I did and took the risk because I can't imagine the experience of being here right now and wishing I had traveled to Siberia and never having gotten there.
1: Now that you're in this position, have you given any thought to going back to becoming a corporate lawyer or going back into any form of the, you know, expected, expected. lawyer?
0: <laughs> what your parents want you to do.
1: Yeah, it was so many people like my one of my roommates in law school, didn't graduate with the intent of becoming a lawyer. He graduated because he wanted to be a political consultant in Washington, DC and a law degree is a prerequisite to work there.
0: Right. I mean, as we, as discussed, I'm sure on other podcasts and, and what I said earlier, the law degree itself is very useful, a great way of rethinking the way you think teaching you how to think a different way. Uh, For me, as much as, um, as much as my family does joke about me becoming a lawyer again, and I have kept my bar <laughs> admission, I um, I don't plan to. I mean, at this point, you know, just getting through a day and being able to try and cook my own food is a win. And the cognitive output that's required, let alone the physical output required to work as a lawyer, again, may never be possible for me. So my first step for now is to try and carve out enough sort of space to be able to do this podcast and see where that goes. But I don't think um, I'm capable of something that intensely corporate anymore.
1: Right. Well, I don't think very many people are after a few years of it, you know, certainly maybe to dabble in it part time or uh, to, as you say, just be aware of your own contracts is sufficient. Well, you're, I would like to talk about your upcoming podcast. What's What are your plans? Is it going to be, uh, you said it's going to be in part to address some of the questions that your community has been asking you. Are you going to be talking about your travel experiences and your recommendations on on uh, how to do that? Uh, are you going to include food in it? What are your hopes?
0: My hopes are really to answer the questions that my community has. And they've. I've, I have a spreadsheet where they've submitted questions and I would happily answer travel questions, of course. But most of the questions are a lot more uh, dense than that. One of them said, do you think God exists? I don't think I'll tackle that one anytime soon. But the questions are things like, like I said, how do you find joy when when you're in grief? How do you talk to someone who's chronically ill? Essentially answering questions, I think, that don't have one fixed answer, but are filtered through the lens of people's experiences and It'll be, for starters, up just a 10-minute podcast with me uh, speaking to answer those questions and people can submit further ones if they have them for me to answer. It, it was really a way to be able to cultivate communication within the readership that I'm grateful to have because I'm not able to write the way I used to and people were posing all these questions that I would love to have dedicated some time to answer. So this was sort of a way to be able to do that, and also feel like there's some purpose in what I'm doing as well, even if I can't physically move the way I used to.
1: Well, your title probably does include counselor at law.
0: (laughs) The title of the podcast?
1: No, the title of uh, you as an attorney, both you as an attorney and as a counselor. counselor
0: Yes, thank you. I, um, I definitely never expected that role in general, but I think like anything... You know, you go through something intense that other people hopefully don't have to experience that you can learn from and and provide feedback for, or at least help people feel more understood. I mean, there's so much information on the net these days and so much of opinions that it's really an honor to be able to try and give people an experience that helps them feel less alone.
1: Well, Jody, we've just about reached the end of our podcast, uh, so it's time for us to wrap up and get your final thoughts, as well as your contact information and your websites and so forth for our listeners so they can reach out to you if they'd like to.
0: Sure. I think um, the legal profession is a, is a rigid one that gives a wonderful training and can provide a lot of information in life that is useful, whether you stay in the legal profession or otherwise. But... If you're looking at your life experience and thinking you're stuck because you only have one set of training, I think that that you really need to step back and think more about the skills that you've developed over time, how they blend with your personality, and then how you can leverage that to build a life that you really want to lead.
1: Great. And how can our listeners find you?
0: I am on LegalNomads.com. Uh, and that's the same on social media, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, our legal nomads as well. I have a newsletter uh, on Substack. It's just with my name, Jodiettenberg.substack.com. And that I have, uh, I'll be sending out next week, actually. That is some personal updates, but also where I curate the best reading from the last month online, where people can read long form pieces that make them think.
1: Great. And it's on J-O-D-I-E-T-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.
0: That's correct.
1: Right. Well, Jody, as we wrap up, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure having you on our show. I've learned an awful lot.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: And for our listeners, if you like what you heard today, please rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Please join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes.